uh, outcome. Uh, I think it's in Putin's interest to very much um, show the world that they both countries are still very aligned. Um, I think for China, there are short-term uh, and long-term factors that they're balancing out. In the longer term, we're talking at a big chunk of the world's population and GDP. Um, ASEAN is becoming an important trading um, market for China, but um, this part of the world is expected to do the same. And of course, there's also the uranium um, dimension, but they will have to navigate those short-term pressures and, and will have to avoid uh, appearing too cozy uh, with Russia if, if they want to um, continue to you know, uh, minimize that risk of um, European and, and North American sanctions. Okay, well, you heard there Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. Mark Michelson, who is Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia and our international economics correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's really looking very grim in financial markets around Asia this morning. The SX200 now down 2.7%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan offers similar amounts. Cosby in South Korea is down about 2.4%. Looks like the Hang Seng uh, is going to open about 500 points lower later on this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning with more business and financial analysis at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, mainly fine but hazy. It is going to be very hot and very dry during the day. Maximum temperature of around 36 degrees. It's going to remain fine, very hot and dry uh, this week to early next week. There is a very hot weather warning in force. The red fire danger warning is also in force. It's 31 degrees already and 38% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Ukrainian officials say the army is pushing ahead with its counter-offensive in the northeast of the country, where it's recaptured swathes of territory. A deputy defence minister, Volodymyr Havrilov, said Russia had so far been unable to stop the advance. We see the low morale of Russian troops. We saw the total control of command and control system of Russia during this counter-offensive operation. We also saw the logistic challenges Russia faces now, we will face in future. All this contributes to our understanding that Russia is not ready to stop Ukrainian advance with the old-fashioned command and control system and equipment. In his regular evening address, President Volodymyr Zelensky said more territory had been recaptured and large parts of the liberated areas had now been stabilised, with the remnants of Russian troops neutralised, collaborators detained and security restored. Queen Elizabeth II's coffin has been brought from Scotland to Buckingham Palace. It will stay there overnight. Large crowds watched as the state hearse brought the coffin into London. London's Commissioner for Transport, Andy Byford, has described preparations for the late Queen's funeral as the biggest operation ever for Transport for London, or TfL. More than a million people are expected to visit central London, where she will lie in state from today. This is the biggest challenge that TfL has ever faced. Obviously, we had the Olympics in 2012, which was itself a huge occasion. But there, we knew exactly what was happening, when it was happening, and how many people were attending. This is, there are so many variables. Twitter's former security chief, Peter Zatko, has testified before a US Senate hearing to share concerns about security at the website, which he thinks are so serious they could have implications for national security. The BBC's Michelle Fleury reports. The former Twitter executive turned whistleblower told US lawmakers the social network didn't know what data it had and so wasn't able to protect it properly. 
Mr Zatko, who was sacked in January, said his disclosures weren't made out of spite or to harm the company. Still, his testimony could influence the legal fight between Twitter and billionaire Elon Musk, who's trying to back out of a deal he made to buy the social network for $44 billion. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Danny Gittings. Today we're talking about the increased use of AI or artificial intelligence in e-commerce and what the government, businesses and consumers should be doing to prepare for this unfamiliar new landscape. The Consumer Council has recently conducted a survey which found that 7 out of 10 consumers are worried about data privacy, although 60% either don't bother to read privacy policies of the companies they patronize or even know such policies exist. The council also found around a tenth of the online stores they look at collect data from customers that isn't even related to their transactions. Things like income, education level and employment status. After 9.15, we'll look at why air pollution in Hong Kong has been so high in the past several days. So let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call. The number there, 233 now, to kick up our discussion this morning, we're joined by Gilly Wong, the Chief Executive of the Consumer Council, and Andy Chen, the Vice President of the Hong Kong Computer Society. He's also an adjunct professor at City University. Good morning, Ms. Wong. Good morning, Janice and Daniel. Good morning, Professor Chen. Good morning, Janice and, and Danny. And uh, thanks for joining us on the program. So, Professor Chen, can you uh, first explain uh, in simple terms what artificial intelligence is in e-commerce? That, that's very interesting. Uh, it sort of seems like a very easy uh, question, but, but actually it's not. You know, uh, AI has been around for maybe 60, 70 years, but we don't have a standard definition. And what I've been, uh, and, the, and what I tell people in the past 30 or 40 years or so that I've been working in AI is that, you know, whenever a computer system does something smart, you know, that's, that's where AI is, you know, whenever a computer system does something smart. Now, a computer system could be a hardware or a software, maybe like a robot. But the interesting thing is that our notion of what is smart for a computer changes over time. Uh, so we constantly raise the bar. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, it's like a baby taking first step. We get all amazed. And then we expect the baby to do more, to walk, and then to run. So I think, I think uh, you know, uh, currently that, 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 that baby is AI. And, and it's hard to point out. AI these days also because it works behind the scenes, you know, collecting data, analyzing it, making predictions and judgments. I think that's where most consumers are worried about, you know, what is AI collecting and, and what is it doing with it. So when we talk about uh, AI and e-commerce, is it when, uh, for example, an uh, advertisement pops up on my social media account of items I searched earlier on the Internet? Is that, does that count as uh, AI and uh, e-commerce? Yes, that is that is part of it. Uh, AI is used throughout the customer journey, and, and your example is, is really you know uh, spot on. Uh, you know, we always get this feeling that uh, that somehow some someone or so, something is, is listening, and it always gets what we want to buy, and that's that's how AI prediction uh, works. It, it collects a lot of data, and, and this data could be you know where uh, could be tracking. You know, where are you at? Uh, 
what have you been looking at? And try to guess what are what are you looking for? What are you most interested in? So this is you know we call this personalization. So personalization uh, is used in advertisement, but it's also used in e-commerce website. For example, instead of showing you all the products, an e-commerce website has millions of products. It's impossible to find what you want. So AI can help narrow down and only highlight those products that most likely you will be interested in. So you're saying and it's so good. AI is, uh, yes, that. Yeah, you're saying it's a good thing here, in fact, in, in, when you talk about that it kind is. of thing. I mean, I mean, the main purpose of using AI for most e-commerce companies is to improve the customer experience, make it more enjoyable, make it more easy, because uh, it, it tries to replace what we're getting in the physical world. Uh, in the physical world, of course, the salesperson, uh, after a conversation, could guess what you want and, and can show you around. But in e-commerce, you know, everyone is, is, is a blank, you know, blank sheet of paper unless we use AI to figure out what this person is, what is the demographic, you know, wh what age are they, what is their, their budget, and uh, what are their interests. And I think that's where most of the e-commerce uh, companies are using AI for is really to, to make uh, the customer experience more enjoyable. Well, I guess it, it, it is quite useful, or it can be quite useful, because uh, uh, of what you were talking about, the personalization aspect. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, the Consumer Council has described it as a uh, double-edged sword. Um, Ms. Wong, why is that? Um, um, exactly, it is a double-edged sword. Um, the reason why is um, it is quite a global uh, phenomenon already, and it's quite a, a consensus that if AI applies well, it can bring a lot of economic benefit and also social benefit. Uh, but if it applies wrongly, um, it could create harm um, to the public as well as consumers. So putting into um, the context of, uh, of uh, consumption environment, um, we encounter experience from overseas already. If it is poorly applied, it could harm the interests of consumers. For example, like Tinder, uh, which is the uh, uh, Making Friends uh, website, uh, but without um, uh, letting people know um, they are charging higher for the elderly because uh, they think you know, elderly may, uh, may be harder you know, to find the, um, the partner and friends. And also bias ranking from Google, uh, unknown social scoring from uh, Airbnb and facial recognition from DD. This is uh, over collection, uh, excessive collection of uh, sensitive personal information. If they are not doing uh, good for consumers, um, then they are intransparent to consumers because AI is actually the whole computing, the algorithm is the back of consumers. Um, that requires uh, more stringent uh, surveillance in order to protect the consumers because if it is so intransparent, it is um, in actual fact, you know, put uh, the trader and also consumer in an imbalanced state of power, which we believe has to be addressed right at the beginning when AI starts applying into Hong Kong. So what we are believing is there are pros and cons in AI, and we have to address the problem at early stage, and also we need to promote for ethical AI in Hong Kong, which is also a global promotion for many other countries. And many other countries, over 160 policies and guidelines and regulations has been um, uh, put forward already, um, especially uh, from the 10 different jurisdictions that we review. In actual fact, um, the global momentum in um, uh, ethical AI is already really fast. So we believe if Hong Kong wants to be a smart city, it is very important for Hong Kong to follow and also to catch up the, the international place and make us to be a really genuine smart city and be fair to consumers in applying AI. 
Now, the Consumer Council produced a very interesting report on AI and e-commerce, and when you read it, you really get the impression that um, people in Hong Kong don't really care very much about this issue. I mean, it's very hard to avoid that conclusion. You say, what, 60% um, uh, of people shopping online don't bother to look at privacy policies, a quarter of them ignore these pop even ignore these pop-up messages. So why are we getting so worried about it? If this is something that uh, people who are using these online, online stores are just seem to be accepting as a fact of life? Well, um, it is because they have the awareness and also the understanding and the knowledge level is not strong enough for them to make a judgment. Uh, in actual fact, uh, as we rightly point out um, already, it is very intransparent to consumer. They experience the application generating from AI, but they don't know at the back it is AI that is working on those uh, applications. So, for example, um, uh, when we talk about a product recommendation, chatbot, um, biometrics, and also AR, uh, augmented reality, um, they know, um, they have experienced those, but they don't know at the back it is AI. Um, so, when we ask about the consumer, uh, what is their awareness, understanding, and also the perception of AI, there are positive views and also uh, more conservative views. Uh, the positive side is um, they um, like uh, for 50, 57% of them think uh, AI can help them to save time in shopping. Um, and, and they also um, agree that AI in the next five years will be uh, getting more and more popular. But on the other hand, if you ask them whether you trust AI or not, 75% uh, said they're not familiar with it. And also 65% um, said, um, uh, sorry, 39% uh, said, you know, they don't trust AI because they don't know them well. So in terms of perception, um, there's still a long way for us to educate the consumers. And when we talk about the application by itself, out of the four applications that I've just mentioned, um, the the most common one that they experience is product recommendation and also augmented reality, uh, followed by a chatbot and then augmented, uh, biometrics. But on the other hand, if you ask them the experience, uh, biometrics and AR actually is more uh, satisfying. 75% of them said, you know, they're pretty okay and also can uh, improve the experience. But the poorest one in actual fact is a chatbot. Um, this is understandable because Hong Kong is bilingual. And also if, um, if after you talk a long while with the chatbot, they couldn't address your problems, they couldn't help you. And also sometimes even over collecting your data, that would create a high dissatisfaction from consumers. So um, this is about, you know, the satisfaction and also perceptions of consumers. But when we talk about the um, how consumers protect themselves online, this is a long way to go because we found um, the way that they protect themselves is uh, not satisfying. And uh, right now in Hong Kong, there are no specific legislations uh, on uh, AI technology. And uh, there are guidelines, though, issued by three government bodies, uh, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data, the Monetary Authority and uh, Securities and Futures Commission. Are, are these guidelines uh, not enough to uh, protect uh, consumers? Sorry, I've, I've been coughing a little bit. Can you just quickly recap the question? All right, no problem. I was just saying that right now there are no specific uh, legislation on AI technology in Hong Kong, but there are guidelines uh, issued by three government bodies. Uh, are, are they not enough to protect uh, consumers? Um, after reviewing the international momentum, obviously um, uh, there are quite a lot of improvements you know, that we can do in, um, in the whole regulation and also the policy setting of AI. Um, reasons being is for the personal uh, privacy data, it is just part of AI in protecting the consumers. But on the other hand, when we talk about 
overall policy, it covers many aspects apart from um, privacy. It covers how we support uh, consumer education, how we ensure the consumer rights are well protected, how we support the trade to make sure they uh, support ethical AI, and also um, the talent recruitment, talent uh, retention of AI, and also the principles in applying uh, ethical AI. They are a much broader um, requirements on the <clears throat> on an holistic and um, comprehensive AI policy for any jurisdictions. So um, even though right now we have the PCPD, but on the other hand, it is just, um, uh, um, it, it, it protects the consumers to a certain extent, but if we are to talking about applying to AI, right now what we are having is just um, voluntary guidelines, um, despite the fact that it follows, um, um, it, it refers to many international guidelines already in developing our guidelines, but no matter what, it is a voluntary uh, one. And also for other uh, authorities like the Hong Kong MA and the SFC, they also put forward their specific guidelines to the industry, but it is only to the financial sector right now. Uh, but when we talk about AI, there are many other industries that are heavily user of AI, for example, the insurance industry, the travel industries, um, they are heavy collector of data. Um, so we believe um, no matter from a voluntary state and also from, um, from a mandatory state, um, that um, we still have a long way to go, uh, especially by after referencing so many countries that have already put forward their bills and also their policies and different measures in regulating AI already. For example, China and also EU and also um, uh, uh, the US, uh, many other places have already put forward their AI policy and regulations. Uh, Andy Chen, um, the survey found that uh, most Hong Kong people don't seem to be that concerned about the use of AI and the Consumer Council saying that um, uh, we should be educated on this and, and, and realise the, the potential risks. Um, can, can, you, can you highlight what, what we should be watching out for? I mean, what kind of things, if you see it while you're browsing the internet or browsing an e-commerce site, what kind of things should, should get you worried? Well, I think we, uh, you know, I totally agree uh, with, with the Consumer Council on the on the study and finding. Uh, I think, you know, just like uh, information security, you know, um, we need to raise awareness among our our, our, our citizens of, you know, where where AI might uh, because not not all the all uh, all websites are are good. <laughs> some are, you know, some some are bad actors out to uh, collect your personal data and, and use it for bad purposes. So we need to raise awareness of how to identify these these potentially bad websites. You know, for example, you know, if they're uh, if they're collecting too much data that's not relevant, for example, or is collecting biometric data like your face uh, or your fingerprints uh, uh, and so forth. So I think uh, consumer awareness is, is super important. And uh, on, on the AI regulations, uh, I, I think uh, we are uh, we're moving towards that. Uh, first of all, AI uses a lot of data. So, um, you know, the personal data uh, uh, privacy ordinance is one big step. And we saw how in in uh, in Europe and other countries, when when Europe, for example, came came out with uh, GDPR, but that kind of drives the entire uh, world to have more stringent regulations surrounding uh, uh, how we collect data, what data we collect, and data governance. So I think uh, you know there is a trend these days on the AI side as well. Uh, for example, you know in Europe uh, they uh, released a proposal for the AI Act, which is the first set of 
really proper legislation surrounding the use of AI, and that was released uh, last year, supposedly to be finalized uh, soon. And I believe that will set a precedent for other countries around the world. And what the AI Act does is that, you know, first of all, you know, all AI systems have to be identified, and it's risk-based. So it, it categorizes AI systems from low risk uh, to medium risk and high risk with uh, different sets of guidelines and regulations surrounding their use. So this potentially could be, you know, the, the golden standard on how we, you know, regulate AI systems in the future. Uh, Guinea Wong, um, you, you, your, one thing that slightly surprised me in your report was the suggestion perhaps that among the places we, we could learn from in terms of regulating AI is the mainland um, and their regulatory regime because we generally have the impression of uh, mainlanders being somewhere that's very intrusive in terms of the use of um, um, artificial intelligence. You have all kinds of fa facial recognition is widely used and um, you have sort of a, a, a social credit scores, things like that. So is that really the best example to be learning from? Um, I think mainland actually is one of the best examples in, in terms of regulations because um, in the past uh, few years it's moved really fast in um, <clears throat> putting forward uh, industry guidelines and also um, 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 specific regulations um, in, um, in regulating AI overall. <clears throat> so um, if we look at you know the latest one is um, just uh, uh, this year, it released the administrative provision of algorithm recommendations for internet information services already. So um, the approach that the mainland take is to regulate the algorithm and also it has very clear provision to safeguard consumers. Uh, it clearly states that they, can, they have to allow the consumers to have the right to opt in or opt out from AI. If this is a disagreement uh, from the decision of AI, um, consumers should have the channel to seek for explanation and also to, um, um, to raise you know, um, concern for dispute resolution. Um, the most important thing I, I think is about you know, the right to choose. And this is exactly even from our Hong Kong survey. Um, there are free demands from consumers. Um, the online shows should uh, let them to choose whether they use AI or not. Uh, inform them when they are using it, um, what is the decision and how they compute, and also um, and also to seek for the redress in case of any disputes. So this is exactly remodeling uh, what other places like the mainland is doing about in safeguarding the consumer right. Um, the transparency, disclosure, and also the right to choose to participate or not is very important. And uh, that um, exists in the mainland uh, regulations already. And we believe the fact that in Hong Kong, we should follow the same uh, in protecting the consumers. So you mentioned one of the things that's done in the mainland uh, that might be a good example is regulating algorithms. I'm, I'm not sure all our listeners, I'm not sure even myself, or I understand what uh, regulating algorithms means. I don't know, maybe we can ask Andy Chun there a bit to, to explain what, what, what is regulating algorithms and why might it be such a good idea? Well, uh, I think, you know, when regulating regular uh, algorithm is about, you know, the authority can have the right to um, look into the design of the algorithm, whether it uh, have uh, any hidden harm to consumers or it create any bias as well in the algorithm. Um, so the approach is slightly different from the EU model. The EU model is risk-based approach. Uh, but when we refer to the Samjian, um <clears throat> just the latest released uh, um, uh, regulation, it also a hybrid of uh, algorithm as well as, you know, the risk uh, approach as well. So we believe, you know, as the world evolves, it could probably will have a 
two different streams of uh, regulation approach. Uh, one is about the algorithm, the other is the risk by itself. Um, there's no right or wrong, but it's just uh, about how that market uh, review is uh, situation and what approach is more appropriate in regulating themselves. Uh, so that's why when we put forward our recommendation to the government, uh, apart from setting over a holistic policy, the regulatory side, we should make reference to the different approach from um, the markets that we make reference to and design the one that really fit for Hong Kong. Uh, Andy Chin, the algorithm is the program running on the computer, which is, is trying to guess things about you, is that right? And that's what needs to be regulated? Yes, the, the AI, uh, the AI algorithm. So it's, it's mainly software, maybe assistance with some hardware, and and understanding uh, what AI does in these days is getting harder and harder. Lack of faith and black box, and that's why a lot of regulations around the world are addressing this with uh, requiring AI to be explainable. So what that means is that if AI makes a prediction or decision, it has to explain itself, and this is important when AI makes you know. Decisions that impact uh, uh, human life, you know, like medical decisions or, 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 or whether you could, you could get a, a, a loan from bank, and 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 uh, uh, and there, there's increasing difficulty in doing that if you use. So there's many types of algorithms. Some is harder to explain than others, and the ones that's popular these days are, you know, what we call deep learning, where it's you know, basically a simulated neural network. And, and I, I think what uh, people are doing is trying to do a hybrid approach where you use deep learning uh, together with other algorithms that's easier to explain, like rule base or decision trees. I'm, I'm getting a bit more technical here. But yes, yes the, the algorithm is basically the software that's running the AI. And when you say explainable, what you mean is, I mean, what happens when they say, um, we, we recommend you book a hotel in Bali because we saw you, you booked a flight to Bali, or we recommend you buy this book because you, you bought that other book, right? That kind of thing. That kind of thing, yes. So we might say, you know, okay, we propose this particular hotel because we believe it's within your budget and you like, you like, you know, beach and, and sunshine in your previous in your previous vacations and whatnot. So it's somehow explaining you know, what, why, why it makes that, that conclusion. Uh, but in certain cases, it's hard to explain because, for example, face recognition, you know, uh, and, and, and you, know, you give a picture of someone and say, oh, this is so-and-so. And why is it so-and-so? Uh, that, that's kind of harder to explain, but it's, you know, it's similar to a human. <clears throat> you ask a human why, why you, you recognize a particular person. It's hard to explain, but but in, 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 uh, in uh, but, um, to, to maybe to, sometimes the vendors don't want to explain. I mean, they, 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 it's not in their interest to explain. They, they, they'd rather keep quiet about how, how they're making these guesses about you. Vendor is that you explain too much, you can uh, kind of guess the, what the algorithm is doing, how it's doing, uh, and maybe uh, using that information to hack the AI algorithm. So there's, you know, there is a, uh, is a fine line between explaining just enough or too much uh, that it would, would lose its IP rights or lose its ability to protect itself from hackers. So, Professor Chen, if going ahead, if uh, Hong Kong was to uh, introduce its own uh, legislation to regulate AI technology, um, would you would you recommend uh, following the mainland's example to uh, regulate uh, algorithms? And, and what else should we uh, look at? Well, I think uh, worldwide, I think the general principle that we're looking at in terms of AI ethics and, and governance is, is actually quite surprisingly uh, similar uh, across all, all countries. So we're looking at uh, more transparency. 
uh, AI has to be open about what it's doing. And, and then, as Lee mentioned, uh, uh, consumers and people uh, should have the right to uh, say, I don't want to use uh, AI. Could you not use AI for, for, for this particular purpose? I'd like to talk to a person instead. And, and the ability to maybe, you know, out, out of uh, AI collecting data. And, and, and in many ways, uh, it mirrors what GDPR uh, is requiring. You know, GDPR is, you know, consumer has has regularly control over its data and be able to uh, request, you know, uh, an explanation of how that data came up with a conclusion or have itself, you know, uh, him or herself data removed from the system. Uh, I think that uh, con- the ability for consumers to control what AI does uh, is uh, is crucial. But I think in general, the AI regulation is more about transparency and building trust so that consumers uh, continue to to use AI uh, with uh, with faith. So I think it's a good thing. I mean, uh, regulation uh, you know makes consumers feel safer that what whatever AI that uh, particular e-commerce site is using follows certain guidelines and regulations. Right. Like you said, you know. All right, Professor Chen. Don't have time to read all the fine. fine <laughs> all right, Professor Chen. I'm afraid I have to stop you there for a moment because uh, we need to take a break for the news. But of course, uh, we can continue our discussion in around three minutes' time when we will be joined by Duncan Chu, the lawmaker representing the technology and innovation sector, and uh, Miss Wong. I know you have to go. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Gilly Wong, the executive of the uh, the chief executive of the Consumer Council, and after nine fifty. We'll speak to Kenneth Loan, the Assistant Director for Air Policy at the Environmental Protection Department, to find out why the air pollution level is so high this week. And a quick look at the weather. Mainly fine but hazy, the very hot weather warning and the red fire danger warning are in force. The top temperature today will be around 36 degrees. Right now it's 31 degrees and the relative humidity 41%. the old-fashioned command and control system and equipment. President Volodymyr Zelensky says large parts of the liberated areas have now been stabilised, with the remnants of Russian troops neutralised, collaborators detained and security restored. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with our guest presenter, Danny Gittings, and me, Janice Wong. In the first half of the program, we talked about how AI should be regulated. We also talked about the need to educate consumers more on how to protect themselves online. Still with us on the program is Professor Andy Chern and the Vice President at the Hong Kong Computer Society. And uh, hopefully we'll be joined by Duncan Chu, the lawmaker representing the technology and innovation sector in a moment. And uh, welcome back, um, Professor Chun. Um, earlier on in the first half of the program, we um, heard a lot about ethical AI, um, which uh, the Consumer Council's uh, chief executive uh, mentioned quite a bit, uh, Gilly Wong. What, what are the characteristics of ethical AI? Well, uh, I, I think key characteristic is, is similar to what, what, uh, what is ethical for humans to do is, you know, whether it's uh, using data uh, for, for good or bad. Uh, it's, uh, 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 it's not using uh, data and AI to harm a person. Uh, so, it's, so for e-commerce, it's mainly about using AI that is most appropriate for the task, not doing more 
they're not collecting more data than that you need to. So uh, one of the one of the the, uh, the common requirement is uh, minimum uh, data collection. That means you know, only collect enough data just to do what you uh, what AI need to do, like recommend a product, <laughs> uh, and, and, and 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 nothing more. Uh, um, ethical guideline, I think, it's very hard to be concrete. It's usually uh, more uh, high level. You know, things like you know, we see terms like uh, AI being fair, uh, non-biased, non-discriminatory. Uh, so things like you know, anti-bias laws uh, can, can come into play even without uh, any AI uh, regulation. The problem is, you you talk about ethical IA. Ethical IA is about doing things which are good but what's good for the e-commerce companies uh, not necessarily good for the uh, consumer in fact it could be quite the opposite i mean what's good for the companies to be able to find out a way to charge charge people higher prices and obviously what's good for the consumer is to be able to buy at lower prices so you you have sort of diametrical opposites there yes that that is so true that's why we need to raise awareness of uh, among uh, among citizens uh, what uh, these e-commerce sites is recommending might not be might be not be best for you. For you, you need to be an educated consumer. Uh, need to be smart. Need to shop around, uh, and that's very important. And it's not uh, unlike in physical world where the salesperson always tries to sell you the product with the highest profit margin, right? <laughs> so being a smart consumer is uh, applicable both uh, offline as well as online. Well, one very interesting line in the Consumer Council report is they said that uh, adoption of AI in Hong Kong is still at an early development stage. And when they talk to people about it, they graded AI development in Hong Kong at less than five out of ten, ten representing extremely advanced um, development. And said a lot of um, companies in Hong Kong, they're just just using AI to save costs. They haven't really explored sort of other ways of uh, of using it. Does that does that tally with your impression? Um, not, not quite. I mean, if you ask consumers, like I mentioned earlier, is, you know, AI very often works behind the scenes. And consumer doesn't really know that AI is really is really doing work. I mean, just like everyday email, you know, AI is doing you know, spam filtering, organizing email to different folders. And if you ask the average consumer, they, don't, they wouldn't say that's AI. Yeah, but um, I think this uh, is uh, talking to actually traders in Hong Kong, talking to companies in Hong Kong who are using AI online, and they're the ones who are saying, "Well, yes, we we're only using a fairly we were falling behind um, other other countries, maybe even behind the mainland. In the, we're only using it in a fairly limited way so far." Well, well yeah, uh, yes, I think in general. I mean, you're talking about small, medium enterprises. Uh, AI adoption uh, might not be common because of the technology and cost involved. But for the larger sites, the larger e-commerce sites, uh, there's there's a lot of uh, AI driving it. For example, if you go to some of the larger e-commerce sites in Hong Kong, definitely they uh, are personalizing their recommendations to you. For example, uh, uh, you know, if we're not using it as uh, uh, extensively as potentially some of the largest uh, e-commerce sites in the world. Uh, but uh, I, uh, uh, AI adoption uh, is, is there is something that I believe all traders are aware that they need, and I agree. Maybe maybe because of the pandemic and the business uh, 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 business environment that we're in, maybe adoption of AI uh, might not be as fast as they would they would like to. But it's getting easier because a lot of uh, cloud services where the e-commerce uh, sites run off 
or providing AI as a service. So you don't even have to invent your AI. You can, you can use the AI that's provided by the cloud service provider. So it's getting easier and easier. Uh, and, um, and I think the main barrier for, for, for entry into using AI is the technology know-how and talent and skill set that's required. And they're in short demand. I mean, you ask uh, people in in, in, in in companies in Hong Kong is that it's so hard to hire tech talent these days. And of course, so one, one, one point that makes renders almost irrelevant is that um, it, it, using the internet is such a global phenomenon anyway. When you're shopping, you, you may not necessarily be shopping on a local website, and occasionally you may not even know whether it's a, it's a Hong Kong-based website or overseas. So true. I mean, you know, a lot of e-commerce players are, are, have a global view. You know, why, why just work in, in one city where you can work globally just as easy because everything's on the cloud? Right. And earlier we talked about uh, the need to educate people more about uh, um, how to protect themselves online. How does, uh, I mean, in your view, uh, Professor Chin, how does uh, Hong Kong uh, people's uh, knowledge about uh, um, AI uh, compare with uh, people in other places? Um, I, I, uh, I, I, it's hard to cover it that way. I, I guess. Uh, I guess in general, people are there's there's a whole bunch of consumers who are not so good at at figuring out well, what is good AI, what's bad AI. Uh, just like information security, uh, we have people getting tricked into uh, exposing their passwords. Uh, everywhere globally, so it's a global phenomenon. Uh, just look at uh, crypto wallet hacks these days. I think like well, I forgot a number, like maybe eighty billion dollars were stolen because a lot of people uh, exposed their passwords uh, by mistake, uh, you know, uh, through uh, phishing attacks. So I think uh, raising awareness of uh, these bad actors. Uh, and what to be aware of is something that we need to do globally and maybe more so in Hong Kong because uh, uh, citizens are less exposed to AI uh, than maybe other countries where AI development has maybe a earlier start. Now, we spent most of this program talking about the uh, dangers or the mis- potential misuse of AI. Um, maybe we want to turn it around. And uh, do you, 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 can you say something about the potentially uh, positive uh, effects? And I'm not just talking about in terms of finding lower prices and so on, but I think you earlier on you referred to how AI can save lives in some cases. Yes. I mean, the medical profession is, uh, is, is a great use of, uh, use of AI. Uh, in the past, through the development of deep learning uh, and image recognition, uh, AI has been used uh, extensively uh, to to review and uh, basically filter maybe X-ray scans and MRI scans to identify those uh, patients that potentially have problems, and so that you know relieve uh, humans from looking at you know thousands of scans and. And only you know where only maybe ten percent have things that they need to look into. So, uh, so reducing the workload for humans, so that humans could focus on things that is, is difficult, uh, is, is something that AI has been doing uh, um, in all industries, I believe. Really, that's really an area, isn't it, where uh, privacy concerns really do clash with the potential benefits because there's nothing more private than our medical data. But at the same time, um, um, analyzing medical data from sort of la- large numbers of people, you, you can draw trends from that and you, you can actually come up with medical breakthroughs, can't you? 
fine balance, and that's where some of these data uh, privacy regulations and maybe AI governance regulations can come into play so that organizations that has all these you know, very important and personal data, um, uh, make sure that they are safe and secure and have the, uh, have the appropriate measures in place to ensure that, uh, that they stay safe and secure and uh, you know, uh, respect uh, data privacy uh, and consumer rights. So uh, the, the regulation helps you know, raise awareness between, you know, among the, those providing the AI service that I, you know, I have to have these these things in place, make sure that data stays private, make sure that our computer system is safe from being hacked, uh, make sure that we have monitoring tools to make sure that you know it, it's secure, and so forth and so forth. So I, I think you know, in, in ways of having more regulation, appropriate level regulation, can truly you know, bring up that level of trust among consumers in using more, not just AI, but any emerging technologies. Uh, you know, uh, besides AI, you know, we talk about AI today, but you know, the the, the metaverse uh, is also getting popular, and that is another uh, another realm where a lot of regulation needs to come into play as well. And uh, we, we've talked about uh, how uh, we should do more to educate uh, the public, or we should uh, how we should uh, protect uh, consumers. Um, what's the view of uh, companies that uh, use AI technology? I mean, do they? Do they think they need to be more transparent when it comes to um, disclosing how they uh, use the information collected through this technology? I, I think it's good uh, for, for both sides, consumer and the company. Uh, uh, being, uh, being more transparent uh, kind of forces itself to, to really you know, do things properly. Uh, also, uh, if it doesn't follow, uh, if it doesn't have these set of guidelines they can follow, uh, it might potentially uh, do something uh, uh, something wrong, uh, mistakenly, and, and could impact, like saying AI could impact life. So having a set of checklists or regulations kind of help the company say, oh, what do I need to do when I deploy AI? Oh, so these are the set of things that you need to do, the minimum set. So in a way, the regulations do help the company uh, as well to strengthen the quality of the AI it provides. And, and looking forward to the future in 10, 20 years hence, or what, what is it? I mean, the, the technology is only going to um, improve, isn't it? And uh, the potential benefits and also the way that technology can probably be used to bypass um, any attempt to regulate it or at least uh, get, make it more difficult to regulate it. Is, is AI just something we're, we're, we're going to have to get used to, these greater intrusions, sort of mainland-style surveillance? I think AI is definitely going to get smarter and smarter. Uh, but, 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 but like I said, you know, AI is becoming more integrated with traditional software. And what that means is that, I mean, any software, any piece of software people write or use today has to have some sort of AI. Otherwise, it's not going to be interesting. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be boring. Uh, it might be... You know, uh, you know, the, the only software, well, I guess I couldn't think of any software that doesn't have AI, even especially as AI. Uh, but yes, you know, uh, I think AI is going to be more uh, 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 prevalent uh, everywhere. And and in, in that sense, you know, uh, it's uh, it's kind of hard, harder, to, harder to identify, you know, this, this is a piece of software that needs to be regulated. Basically, uh, I think you know, uh, that, that scope of regulation is going to get wider. 
All right, so Professor Chen, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Andy Chen, the Vice President of the Hong Kong Computer Society and an adjunct professor at City University. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now coming up to 17 minutes past nine and it's time for us to turn to our second topic today and that is about the high air pollution we've been seeing in Hong Kong recently. To tell us more about the situation, we have with us Kenneth Leung, the Assistant Director for Air Policy at the Environmental Protection Department. Good morning, Mr Leung. Good morning, Janice. Thanks for joining us on the program. So why has air pollution been so bad over the past few days? Oh, the elevated pollution level is mainly caused by uh, a, a tropical cyclone We're in the Pacific Ocean right now, which is approaching Taiwan. And uh, whenever we have this kind of uh, tropi- tropical cyclone uh, affecting Taiwan, the Hong Kong wind speed will be reduced. And because of the reduced dispersion characteristic, all the pollutions in the Greater Bay Area just being trapped in the region and could not be dispersed properly and moreover because of the good sunshine it caused photochemical effect that's why uh, we experienced very high ozone concentration in the past few days as well as uh, relatively high particular matter concentration as well so are you saying once the typhoon's gone things will improve yes absolutely right, and, and in fact if you compare uh, what happened, say, at the end of August, when we did not have many typhoons, uh, the, the sky is blue and clear, and the emission conditions are exactly the same right now. So uh, this kind of phenomenon we have known from, for quite a number of years. So whenever we have typhoon going past that kind of trajectory, Hong Kong will experience uh, a high pollution level. Right, I'm looking at the Air Quality Health Index website right now, and uh, most of the general stations are currently in the moderate health risk category. Um, but according to forecast, it might reach the very high risk category this afternoon. Um, so, so, I mean, for a healthy person, is it safe to exercise outdoors? Uh, I would recommend not to do outdoor exercise uh, today as well as the next Tuesday because we expect this kind of uh, high, po- high ozone level will continue until the weekend, until the typhoon or what we call the tropical cyclone pass ta- Taiwan and go to the northern part of the earth. Uh, so it will persist for a few more days. So I would advise uh, the public not to really do very uh, uh, active exercise outdoor because the high ozone level will trigger any uh, uh, respiratory uh, illness or other diseases. And you mentioned, I think, also that the unseasonably warm weather we're having, that it's always hotter than it normally is in September, that that's also contributing to it. Yes. Why is it hot? Because if you look at the, the wind conditions, um, Basically, uh, we are uh, affected by northerly dry wind because the, the cyclone actually is uh, turning anticlockwise. It's bring, bringing everything from the north down to the southern part of China. So at this point of time it, 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 of the season, it tends to be dry and hot. 
Right, and, and earlier you said uh, it's uh, you don't recommend people doing any exercise outdoors. Uh, but I only found out about this after I looked at the uh, the actual website on the air quality health index. Uh, but people um, have to go on this website to find out what the situation is like. I mean, do you think it'll be easier to have um, a different system, like a warning system, like Typhoon, so people can easily tell uh, what they should do, or what they should not do? Uh, actually, in our recommendations of our website, uh, we have been advising the public whenever the index goes above seven, uh, it is not advisable to, to really do uh, outdoor activity. And uh, uh, I think this is an education process. Uh, it is not like a typhoon uh, that may have well required us to stop all activities in Hong Kong. And in fact, every day we produce our forecast through the, the TV broadcasters as well as the new broadcast from the, the, the radio channel. So uh, I think that is sufficient at this moment for advising the public about the air quality they're going to expect during the day. All right. And, and in general, um, air pollution um, globally improved significantly uh, in the first year of the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, would you say things have gone back to normal now? Well, uh, when you look at the, the source of pollutions, where does it come from? It's mainly come from power plant, industrial activity, as well as motor vehicles. So when the, the, the worldwide activity actually resumed back to the normal, use a lot more power as well as traveling as usual, that means the emission condition actually returned back to the pandemic period. That's why uh, the pollution level uh, bounced back to to the previous two uh, two years ago's level is 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 normal, well, unless uh, we continue to reduce the amount of activity or change the fossil fuel combustion activity into uh, renewable energies. Well, of course, one big difference compared with the pre-dat pandemic periods is that absolutely everybody in Hong Kong is wearing face masks all the time. So presumably the um, health risks from uh, these high pollution levels um, are, are actually less than they used to be in the past because all of us, are there, they're being filtered through face masks. Uh, it's, it, you may say so for the particular matter, but if it is something too tiny, like uh, we're talking about uh, PM 2.5, which is smaller than than 2.5 micron, and that, that may go past the mask. And when I talk about ozone, which is actually a gas, it will definitely go past the mask. So when you walk on the street with a mask on, you are still affected by a high ozone level today. Right, and uh, I'm looking at a previous uh, a previous um, report. It says uh, between uh, 2011 and 2021, key air pollutants here have reduced by 30 to 50 percent, and and that report is by a Clean Air Network. Um, however, it says that our roadside air pollution level still exceeds WHO's uh, um, standards. Um, so, so uh, Mr. Leung, how I mean, how should Hong Kong deal with the uh, air pollution going forward? I mean, what else? Uh, what more can we do to to help? improve the situation? Uh, in Hong Kong, the major polluting sources are power plants, marine emissions, as well as road transport. And um, when you mentioned the exceedance of roadside air quality uh, in, in related to WHO value, the WHO value is 10 micrograms for NO2. Uh, virtually, it was tightened last year from 40 micrograms. In fact, no 
city, major city in the world, could meet this criteria yet, unless we turn all the vehicles into zero emissions new energy vehicles. And that is exactly what the government is doing right now. We are encouraging the transport sector to migrate their car or transform their car into zero emissions or change to new versions of vehicles. And also we are reducing our power plant uh, emissions gradually. That's why you see the improvement in the past few years. We will continue to do that in future. So in particular, in reference to our carbon neutrality plan, uh, we're going to phase out coal combustion together by 2035. So uh, with all these different efforts, we expected our lo uh, local air quality as well. So the roadside air quality will be improved in the, in the next five to 10 years. But I think unlike uh, many countries, we haven't set a deadline for switching entirely to electric vehicles, have we? I mean, do you look in uh, the... We already, set, we already set for the private car, the smaller vehicle, uh, in the plan. We mentioned that before 2035, uh, we will not register any more new combustion vehicle at all for the private vehicle. And also we promise though, to update the EV roadmap uh, in 2025 we will include the timeline for phasing out combustion vehicle for the uh, commercial type of vehicles as well. So uh, we will see uh, a more concrete plan in two to three years' time. Okay, so for, but for commercial vehicles, it's going to be a much more long, it's going to be a much longer process, right? And that will include buses and trucks and things like that, minibuses, things exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. Because the, the availability of uh, electric version or even other energy type uh, is limited at the moment. And also they are quite expensive as com compared to the diesel version. So we need to take time to allow the trade to trans. trans transform to the new energy version gradually. Because there's sometimes a perception we're falling behind the rest of the world and e even behind the mainland in terms of the pace of our conversion to electric vehicles. Well, I would say mainland is the forerunner in the world. So if you try to compete with the forerunner, definitely we are behind. And uh, if you look at the intake figure of uh, EV in Hong Kong in the past few years, uh, it has been rising rapidly. Uh, two, three years ago, only less than uh, 10% of uh, new registered vehicles are EVs. And this year, uh, just the first six months, it's already 40%. That means the intake of uh, EV in Hong Kong is rising rapidly. In fact, we are the second in the world in the past six months in terms of new EV adoptions. Well, forty percent is high. But when you say EV vehicles, you're, you're including hybrid hybrid cars, right? Where they no, no, no you're hybrid. talking about pure pure, EV. pure battery EV. All right, and uh, Mr. Long, you've talked about uh, what the government's been doing, and uh, I guess uh, um, can, I mean, can you talk about uh, what uh, individuals can do to help? I mean, apart from buying electric vehicles, what else can they do to help uh, improve uh, the air quality here? Okay, definitely we encourage the public to use more public transportation rather than driving themselves because no matter it is a EV or a, a, a conventional combustion vehicle, when we have too many vehicles on the road, you actually slow down the traffic speed and it causes a lot more uh, emissions on the road. And of 
course, uh, uh, on the other hand, you can also help out uh, the whole territory by reducing the amount of energy consumption, like uh, 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 use less energy at home, uh, turn off turn up your temperature of your air conditioner that actually use less energy as well. Uh, we don't need to be so cold <laughs> in the room. And, uh, and these are all the things the public can help because uh, energy saving is one of the key issues to combat the climate issue. All right. Uh, and uh, uh, thanks for joining us this morning, Mr. Leung. And we'll have to leave it here for now. Um, that's uh, Kenneth Leung, the Assistant Director for Air Policy at the Environmental Protection Department. Many thanks uh, also to our guest presenter, Danny Gitchings and producer Yuki. Now here's the weather, mainly fine but hazy. The very hot weather warning and the red fire danger warning are in force. Highs expected today of around 36 degrees. Winds light to moderate north to northwesterlies. Right now, the temperature reading at the observatory is 31 degrees, relative humidity 43%.